Okay, this week's Parsha is Parsha's Balak, uh, and we will begin again, as usual, by thanking all of the girls who are supporting the year on Patreon.com. Very much appreciated. Um, huge shout out to you guys. Um, this week's Parsha, Parsha's Balak, is a fascinating Parsha. Um, we'll recap it in a second, but it is the first Parsha that takes place outside of the point of view of Am Yisrael. Since, let's say, like... I guess, Noach or Bracious or whatever. I like, you know how, again, I, I apologize for being an author and kind of taking that kind of writing aspect. But if you ever notice that the Torah is telling the story from the Jewish point of view, right? You have Jews, you have Moshe, you have Am Yisrael, you have all these things happening to the Jews. This is happening completely out of the realm of their point of view. And nobody knows any of this stuff until the Torah writes it. So it's very fascinating to notice. Um, but uh, but let's, let's recap Let's recap a little bit. Basically, Balak, the king of Moab, uh, was uh, terrified of Am Yisrael. And he calls Bilam. Bilam is a, if you don't know, just to, just to cover all the basics, Bilam is a uh, sorcerer, as the Chazal talk about uh, Bilam being on the level of Moshe Rabbeinu, that Akash uh, Baruch didn't want the Goyim to be like, well, if we would have had a Moshe, we also would have done tshuva, etc. So the Hashem said, here, fine, take a Moshe. So that was Bilam. Uh, he was a tremendous Russia, as you may know. Uh, a lot of Midrashim peg him as one of the advisors to Paro uh, at the time of the suggested killing of all the boys in the river. Um, so you know, he, they, his, his fights with Moshe and the Midrashim go on. Uh, maybe they fought in, in, in Ethiopia, perhaps. Bilam's history with Am Yisrael is documented um, is documented throughout uh, Chazal already. So basically, Balak comes to Bilam. This is the first time we're meeting him here, though, in the Torah. So Balak sends a message to Bilam and says, hey, I want you to curse the Jews. Bilam says, uh, just hang out a second. I'm going to ask a Kodesh Baruch Hu. Um, Hashem says, you cannot go curse the Jews. They are blessed. They don't want your curses. So Bilam says, the, says back to the messengers of Moab, I can't go with you. Uh, implying that he wanted more honorable messengers. So Balak sent more high-ranking officials, asked them to come again. So finally, this time, Hashem says, okay, no problem, you can go, but everything I'm going to tell you, you're going to have to say. Just be aware of that. Bilam's like, great, you can't wait to go and curse the Jews. Kosh Barker's like, you know, what's the deal? I don't understand. Um, so Kosh Barker gets angry at him. We'll talk about why he got angry in a second. Uh, he sends a, an angel to stop Bilam from going. And the angel appears to Bilam three times. Bilam does not see it any of those times until the end, except the, the animal that sees the angel is Bilam's donkey, who he's riding upon. First time, there is no, uh, there is no fence on either side of the road, so the donkey swerves out of the way of the angel with a sword, right, obviously, uh, off into the fields, and Bilam hits the donkey. Uh, it goes, but gets back on the road. Second time, there's a fence on one side, uh, Animal sw swerves off the road. Bilam hits it, gets back on, on the road. Uh, finally, the last time the angel appears, there's a fence on both sides. Bilam hits a donkey. Animal's got nowhere to go. Uh, all of a sudden, Kosh Baruch opens Bilam's eyes, says, oh, there's a mal malach there. He apologizes, says, Chatasi, I sinned. Angel says, what the heck's going on over here? Fine. Bilam makes his way to Balak. Balak said, why don't you come when I asked? Bilam said, what am I supposed to do? Anything that Kosh Baruch Hu tells me to say, I'm going to end up saying. They try several times, three times, to curse the Jews with a bunch of altars, with a bunch of korbanos. Uh, each time, Bilam says, hey, listen, I'm going to only be able to say what Hashem puts in my mouth. Bilam Balak gets so upset. 
etc., etc. They get, get so upset. Bilam prophesizes about all these brachos to, for Am Yisrael. Uh, the one you're familiar with probably most is Matovo Alecha Yaakov Meshkin Osecha Yisrael. All these uh, these brachos, he prophesizes about the downfall of Balak and Moab and Edom and Amalek and all these things until the end of days, uh, and then and then he leaves. Uh, the end of the parsha, the last let's say ten or I see nine psukim, is Bilam's final advice to to Balak, and he says, "I'm not going to be able to curse the Jews, but the one thing you can do is to get them to sin." And that will mess them over. So basically, Moab sends in uh, the ladies, uh, and uh, the Bnei Israel sin uh, with the prostitutes of Moab, and they bow down to their Vodazara Baal Peor. There's a big plague, we kill a lot of people. Uh, and finally, at the end, which we're not going to talk about this week because we'll save it for next week, is that one of the Nisim comes and takes a Moabite uh, princess. Uh, Pinchas ben Elazar comes uh, with a sword or spear specifically and kills both of them. Right, that, uh, we're going to talk about that little episode at the end. We're not going to talk about that now because that's really the beginning of next week's Parsha also. Uh, so we'll join it next week. But what, so that's a quick rundown uh, of, of Bilam and Balak. We're going to spend most of the time talking about Bilam because Bilam is a fascinating, fascinating persona uh, in the text. And like I started, uh, I like to pay attention to how the text and how the, the narrative displays and kind of describes uh, the characters in the Torah. So if you look at the text, Bilam, ironically enough, does not seem like such a bad guy. Right? He says things like, I cannot go against anything Hashem my God says. Right? Whatever Hashem tells me to speak, that's what I will speak. Right? He says that def- at least four or five times. Uh, in the Parsha, and by the end of the Parsha, Bilam even has Balak talking, like a Frumayit. Right? He says, Balak says something to the effect of, maybe you'll be proper in God's eyes, and we will curse him from there. And Balak says stuff like, Bilam, get out of here, Hashem has withheld you from honor. Right? Again, the way Bilam talks is like, he's like a Frumayit. Right? Bilam, right, when he's confronted by the angel, he says, Khatasi, I sinned, and if you want me to go back, I'll go back. Right? Again, the if you hadn't been familiar with the story and the Mamari Chazal, if you had literally just read the English translation, right, you would be confused. Bilam does not seem like a bad guy. Now, make no mistake, he's a bad guy. Right? The Chazal do not waste any words, do not mince any words talking about Bilam is tremendous Russia. Question is, why didn't the Torah paint him like that? Right? The Torah does pretty good with that, painting Paro, bad dude, Haman, bad dude. Right, we have plenty of Rishayim right, in the Torah. Why does the Torah do this? So I heard the following beautiful answer from uh, Rav Arya Ifra, who is a, uh, a Rav at Shaga, uh, And he says that the Torah paints Bilam in that kind of light because Bilam himself tried to hide his Rishus. He tried to hide his wickedness. Right? He paraded himself around as a tzaddik, even though he's a terrible Rasha. Right? And you have, you have Rashi's at the beginning of the Parsha like that, uh, that Bilam tried to cover up uh, some of the things he was doing from Akash Baruch Hu, he didn't think, he thought maybe Akash Baruch Hu couldn't see every single little thing. So because Bilam himself tried to paint himself in the most you know firm way, so the Torah tried to paint Bilam in the most accurate light possible, right? To depict him uh, as a tzaddik who was trying to uncover up right his uh, his actual wickedness. So, you know, we see somewhere else, we see other people who did this as well, right? Esav, we know if we're familiar with Esav. Esau, right, Chazal tell us, asked his father Yitzchak, right, a bunch of Shilas about halacha, right, can you take Meiser from salt, etc., etc. 
Um, and, you know, again, Chazal struggled to understand why was Yitzchak so enamored with Esav. So one of the interpretations is, when the Pesach says, Kitzayid Befiv, that Esav would literally, it means he would hunt with his mouth, so it means that he would trick Yitzchak into thinking that he was from. Uh, so we have this, we do find this in Chumash, and that was, that was, that was similar to, to, Bilaam's, to Bilaam's vibes. The problem is, the problem with that is that who was Bilaam trying to fool? Because Esav, at least we can understand, he was trying to fool Yaakov, or Yitzchak, rather. Right? Yitzchak, and trying to get the brachos, etc., etc. But uh, who was Bilam trying to fool? Right? What did, he was in some random town called Besor, like in the middle of nowhere. Like, why? Well, there's no Jews around there. Who is he trying to fool? So the Shaila is, and this is, again, discussed, like I said before, alluded to, to Rashi. Uh, the Orachayim writes this as well. There was just the Orachayim Zeret sites. We'll talk a little bit about Orachayim Torah. Uh, but the Orachayim writes as well, because the Medrash says, Bilam wanted to hide his hatred of Amishra from Akash Baruch. Right, the Midrash says that Bilam thought there were some things that Hashem couldn't see, so he put a show he put on a show of like religiosity, hoping that he would fool Hakarish Baruch. Now, watch this. when I tell you that Bilam was trying to fool God and pretend like he was more righteous than he actually was, right? What's your first reaction? Your first reaction to that is, well, that's ridiculous. Well, that's dumb. I mean, nothing escapes Akash Baruch, right? Especially on the religious level, right? No one, like if you were ever hoping to hide something from God, it, it, it would. You know, I mean, come on, he, he's the one who judges, right? We 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 all think that's ridiculous. Yet, if I want everybody now just to think about for a second, think back to the last avera that you did. Hopefully, you can't remember, but if you're like me, so you could probably come to th- something pretty quickly. Think to the back to the last avera that you did. If I ask you that question in the middle of that avera. Right? What, can you hide your religiosity level, your, your religious level from a Baruch Hu? All of a sudden, it's not so dumb, huh? Right? All of a sudden, that kind of logic, that logic isn't so sound, is it? Right? Because when we get stuck in our own actions, right, we get stuck with our own kind of focus. Uh, we, we, to some extent, are guilty of this, of this also. Right? We're, we're all hide our religious level from a Baruch Hu, quote unquote. Maybe that's not how we would phrase it. But many of us are afraid to sin in public and not afraid to sin in private. Right? This again, this intersects with a lot with what we talked about on Monday, right? With the fourth paragraph of Zilas Yisharim, right? That the details are a big deal, right? The Kosh Baruch Hu cares about all the details, right? So this awareness that you can't hide anything from a Kosh Baruch Hu, we all know it to be true, but it's not always cognizant up in your brains, right? It's not always in the forefront, right? You don't you don't always believe it a hundred percent, right? Even though if I would ask. Anybody here, of course, you would say, yeah, you can't hide anything from Hashem. Yeah, but we're in the middle of some sort of nisayon, some sort of test. That all of a sudden is very quiet. Right? You have this by Noach as well, very similar by Noach. Rashi writes over there, right, the Pazik says that Noach right, obviously spent a lot of time building the Teva. The rain started and the Pazik says that his whole family went into the Teva because of the waters of the Mabul. And... Uh, Rashi there says, I meaning what do you mean the waters of the Mabul? So Rashi says that the waters of the Mabul forced him in. So everybody's like, what do you mean it forced him in? What he, he was he's like hanging around? So Rashi there says, and there are different ways to understand this, but, but Rashi there says that Noah was Mamin Veino Mamin Shayavu Mabul. That Noah believed and he didn't believe that the Mabul would come. So uh, one of my Rebbeim, Rabbi Shai Konigsberg, he teaches at Rishay Lev now, he said, I understand. How could Noah not believe the Mabul was coming? He spent 120 years building the Teva. What does that mean? He didn't believe the Mabul was coming. So yes, yeah, so he built Mamu Ve'inu Mamin. He believed, 
But he didn't believe. He knew it was true logically, but emotionally or in the forefront of his brain, he wasn't necessarily emotionally true. And so many things are true of that nowadays as well. Right? Again, 20 years ago when I was getting this schmooze in yeshiva, so the example was smoking. Right? Everybody knows smoking is bad, but how many people get addicted? A ton of people get addicted and they don't care what, until they get addicted and probably don't care after they get addicted. Right? Today, the example is anything you want, right? Social media, phones, marijuana, drinking, etc. We know it's bad for us, right? but we don't internalize it. Right? We know it's bad. If I would ask you point blank, is it good to scroll 33 hours in a row through TikTok? No, of course not. But we all do it. Not myself. But we all do it. So whatever, you know what I'm saying. So that's the key lesson. That's to internalize that. And really to have that present in our minds all the time. Right? If we really would have that understanding that Akash Baruch Hu, right? you can't fake religiosity from Akash Baruch Hu. If we really have that present in our minds, it'd be much, much harder for us to make a mistake. Right? To us to do any time sort of a vera. Right? That's why we constantly daven. Right? Davening is... Right, litpalel. We've done this many times. Right, hitpalel. It's doing something to yourself. The word pilel means to think or to analyze or to judge. You're judging yourself when you're davening. You're working on this aspect to realize that a kosh baruch is a kol yochol and never present, etc. Because unfortunately, we forget. Right? We know Hashem is everywhere. Right, Uncle Moishi told us that. Right, here Hashem, there Hashem, there Hashem is everywhere. Whatever. I hear that. I'm repeat. I'm trying to block it out, but. We unfortunately don't necessarily internalize it and truly, truly, truly believe it. So until we get to that point, so we have uh, we have work to do because otherwise we're exactly like Bilam who thinks that we can hide things from a Baruch Okay, that's A. B is fascinating. Bilam is a fascinating character. If you just look at the Psukim, in many ways Bilam is a fascinating character, but Bilam. Right, he's almost like a little kid. Right, he says, "Hashem, I want to go curse the Jews." Hashem says, "No, you're not going to curse the Jews." New messengers come back, and Bilam says again, "Hashem, I want to go curse the Jews." And Hashem says, "Fine. You can go go with the messengers to get covered and honor and money, but you're not going to get to curse them." And Bilam's like, "Yay, I'm going to go curse them." So, so like it's it's almost it's almost hilarious. But as as we'll see, we're going to illustrate a little bit. Bilam simply couldn't help himself because he was so focused on a course of action, sometimes we put our heads down and we don't allow for any flexibility, so right, uh, we have disastrous consequences. So let's just let's just read a couple of psukim here. Uh, I'm reading Chav Beis, Perik Chav Beis, Pasuk Chav. So the Pasuk says, Vayavor Elohim el Bilam Laila, Vayom Elohim lekor lechabo wa nashim kum lechitam, Achas has davar asher deberi lecha so sasa. Right, Hashem comes to Bilam and says, listen, if the, the men came to give call to you, so you can go with them. Kum lechitam. Good? Right? And then, but if you just know that anything I'm going to tell you, that's what you have to say. So Bilam gets up in the morning, he, he takes his donkey, he goes with them, and then the very next Pasuk is, Hashem got upset that Bilam went. And everybody's like, all the Perushim are like, what do you mean upset that Bilam left? Did you just tell him he could go? What, <laughs> what does that mean? Did you just literally do Psukim? I go, you said, no problem, go with them. Bilam says, okay, gets up and goes with them, and Hashem gets angry in the next pasuk. Like, what, what, what's happening over here? So the simple understanding, like, is probably, as many explain, there have been a Baha'i among them, is that uh, Hashem told him he could go, not to curse, right? That was clear in the pasuk, and Bilam wanted to go and curse. The Malbim makes an amazing diuk. The Malbim makes a great diuk. He says, originally, right, Hashem said, Lo imahem. You should not go with them. 
Then, that's originally, that's the Pazak Yudbeis. I didn't read the Pazak. He said, Lo imahem. You shouldn't go with them. Then Hashem changed the language a little bit. He said, when he said Bilam could finally go, he said, Kum leich itam. Go, you go, get up and go with them. But then when, when Bilam went, Vayilach im sarei moav. He went with sarei moav. Now, the question is like this, says Namalbin. What is the difference between itam, which means with them, and imahem, which is, also means with them? Why, what's the difference? So the Malbim says, if you ever remember, you ever learn, I never forget this, you ever learn Diktuk in like fifth grade, and the difference between Im with an Ayin and Im with an Aleph? So Im with an Ayin, right, since the Ayin is, right, Im with an Aleph means if, but Im with an Ayin means with, that's what we just did, right, Imahem, Imam, with them. So what is an Ayin? Right, if you cross your fingers, right, the first two fingers, so that makes an Ayin. Ayin implies with something together in one single mind. So Hashem said, Kum leich itam. Itam is, doesn't mean with together. It means alongside with. Imam is literally together with. So Bilam went together with the same mindset with the Sarei with the, Moav, with the, and that's why Gosh Baruch got angry. And the one thing that stands out about the entire story is that no matter how many times Bilam is punched in the face or hit over the head or told you cannot do something, he still does it. Right? Hashem says, you cannot go curse the Jews, they're blessed. Bilam asks again. Hashem says, fine, you can go, but not to curse. Bilam goes. Donkey stops three times on the journey, runs off the road three times. Third time he crouches down because he has nowhere to go. Bilam hits the donkey. Donkey fights with him. Donkey's mouth opens up. The donkey speaks to Bilam, wins an argument with Bilam. Bilam does not take any, doesn't have any inkling that something is going on over here. The angel says to him right afterwards, I am there to stop you. Do not go and curse them. Bilam says, if you want, I'll turn around. The angel says, go, but you can't curse them. Bilam's like, great, I'll go curse them. Bilam shows up with, to Balak, and when Balak says, why didn't you come? He says, I can't do anything. Hashem puts words in my mouth. Whatever Hashem puts in my mouth, Bilam says this. Whatever Hashem puts in my mouth, that's what I'm going to say. He says that time after time after time. Right? The first time it doesn't work, he goes to a place like, maybe let's go to a place where I can see not some of all Am Yisrael, but all of Am Yisrael. Right? Then he, let's go to this place. Let's go to this place where I think they'll sin. Let's, go to, let's build seven altars, seven korbanos. Dude, take a hint. It's not happening. And yet we see how stubborn and strong-headed Bilam is, is in this story. He doesn't stop. Who else is like that in Chumash? Paro. Paro is like that in Chumash as well. My cousin Michael liked to point that out. The Seder night. I love when he pointed out. He's like, we have all these different talk about Moshe and Aaron and everybody. What about Paro? Learn from his stupidity and his stubbornness. When Hashem sent all these makos and Paro just like, hunger. So that was the same thing. That Paro, we have to learn from Paro. Sometimes people just put their heads down. They want a certain Avera, and they run like the oxes, oxen in Pampelona like in the running of the bulls. Right? They just had that in Spain. That's why someone sent me a clip. Like, today was running of the bulls. I'm like, okay. But we put our heads down and just run straight ahead. Like, like we have, we're not thinking about anything. Right? It is very, very hard to put, when, when a person is being stubborn and focused on a single mindset, and they get all these messages that it's not a good idea, it, it's still very hard to pull yourself out of that mindset. Right? They tell a story about Rav Palm's father. Rav Palm is a Rashivan Tarvadas in, in Brooklyn. So, Brooklyn, Lakewood? Brooklyn, I think. 
Anyway, uh, not as you can tell, I'm not as yeshiva as I should be. Anyway, so he tells the story that his 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 uh, Rav father was a rav in, in Brownsville, and he and he, he had some sort of fiery drusha that he gave, and one guy came up to Rav Palm's father and said, "Man, Rabbi, you really told those people off." And Rav Palm's father was like thinking he didn't say this, but he's like, "I was talking to you." Right? Sometimes we don't hear the messages. Right? Bilam's donkey opened up its mouth and started talking to him. Right, the Medrash there quotes like uh, quotes like Right, if Bilam, who was the smartest of all the goyim, can lose an argument and musr to a donkey, right, what are we going to do when a Kosh Baruch Hu kind of gives us tochacha the day we get to, to Shemaim? Right, so that's something super crucial as well. Don't be as stubborn as Bilam. Listen to your messages. Right, we get musr and messages every single day. So usually, it's not as obvious as a donkey talking. Uh, but Hashem doesn't have to send a talking donkey to beat the message into us sometimes. Right? It's Hashem, we should be able to focus and like think about, listen, what is Hashem trying to tell me? Now, a lot of people ask, I will say, a lot, okay, Rabbi, how do I know that this is the message Hashem is trying to send me? Right? How do I know? Maybe He's trying to tell me something else. So there's always three rules to keep in mind. First of all, if the message you're, deci- you're deciding on is, I need to give more tzedakah, or I need to be do kibbutz ava aim a little better, so or some other type of mitzvah, or you know, good mida or whatever. So the answer is always just go for it, because worst case scenario, it was the wrong message, and now you're doing more mitzvahs. Right? That's fine. Right? That's totally fine. If the message you're taking away is like totally unrelated to Torah, and it's like maybe this is a sign I need to dye my hair and get a second nose ring. That's Probably not the message that Kosh Baruch Hu is sending. Right? Probably doesn't care. Uh, but often, again, though, it's it's a gray area. It's like let's say you know, very often it, it comes up with girls come about relationships. Maybe he's not for me because he chose a blue slurpee instead of red, and I hate the Smurfs, so it must not be Basharit. <laughs> Topless. All, all I'll say is that don't go choosing a Basharit over the slurpee. You know, over the color slurpee that the guy likes. I mean, think about it. If the messages from a Kosh Baruch Hu are coming. If you think something is leading you towards a certain hanhaga, some sort of action, some sort of mitzvah, go for it, run towards it, and always analyze and think about your own mindset if you're being too uh, stubborn and too focused on, on a single course of action. Speaking of the donkey, anybody knows what happened to it? Don't all answer at once. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, the Rashi says in the Parsha, Rashi says in the Parsha that, actually, yes, you know what happened to it. Good guess, not this donkey. Correct. Correct. That is true. That is true. But Rashi says what happened to it afterwards, after he beat won the fight with 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 uh with Billa. Anyway, no? Rashi says the Malach killed it. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. Basically, yeah, basically. Oh, why? Excellent. So fascinating, Rashi. So he quotes the Medrash, because they didn't want people to see the donkey and be like, hey, that's the donkey that bested Bilam in an argument. Like, can you imagine? Right, because the Kosh Baruch was concerned for covered Abrios. I mean, just think about that for a second. Bilam is one of the all-time Russias of all time. Right, and the Kosh Baruch was concerned for his covered, for his covered Abrios. Right, why would Hashem care about him? Right, so Kavachomer ben Benosha Kavachomer, right? Sir, how much more so, right? We should treat our, be concerned about our fellow Jews, right, and our friends for their covenant, 
Right, they, uh, they tell a story again. It's, it was just the Orchaim's yard sites. We'll tell a story about a, a story about him. When he came from Morocco to Eretz Yisrael, he, he settled in Tveria, and he was at the Rav's, uh, the Rav of Tveria's house, Rav uh, Abuela or something, also a Sephardi Rav. Uh, and the Orchaim Akadosh felt there was some sort of tumah. They served him a meal. I think it was on Shabbos, and he felt there was some sort of tumah, so he wouldn't eat the food. And uh, turns out that there was a, one of the older servants that the Rav had in the house. Uh, was Nifter, had passed away. And so the Orchaim says that, as, how did the Orchaim get to Yushalayim? The Orchaim left Tveri and moved to Yushalayim. Why? Because he didn't want the people of the town to find out that he had felt the Tumah in the house and the Rav had it. And then people would leave the Rav and start following the Orchaim. So he left. So he's like, all right, I'm out of here. I'm going to go to Yushalayim. So that was, it shows the level of Kavod Abriyas that a person has to have. Right? That, uh, again, I have a which is for Bilam's Kavod. So certainly we can... Uh, we can be choshish for our friends cover just slightly more than uh, than we are right now. Um, okay, again, to dive into all the brachos that Bilam gave Am Yisrael would take us a very, very long time. Let's just do one of them. Right, the Pazik says, right, I'm, I'm just reading Parakhov Dala, Pazik Tess. It says, Korash achav kari uchlavi mi'yikimenu. That uh, literally means he, he crouched down and lay like a lion, like a lion cub. Who can stand him up? Now, so not the, I don't want to dwell on the, on the literal uh, translation, but I want to say one of the drushes that I saw by, uh, by Rav Melech Biederman. So fascinating, the Gemara says in Brachos, early in Brachos, that they wanted to put Parsha's Balak in Kriyashma. Right? Unbelievable, right? Kriyashma was almost three paragraphs and Parsha's Balak. But they didn't, says the Gemara, because the Tirchah Tzibura, it'd be too long. So it's fascinating. So the Gemara, finally, after some back and forth, the Gemara says it's because of this Pasuk. What's so crucial about this Pasuk? That uh, he crashed down like a lion, like a lion cub, who stands back up, but what's going on over here? So the, the Rav Melech, Biedermann, Rav Melech quotes from the Sifzi Tzadik, who's one of the Ger Rebbes, who was Nifter in the early 1900s, says, even if a person is kara, kara means to bow down, or to bend down. Even if a person is shachav, even if a person is lying down, so then, that just like a lion, he can get up. Right? That a person can get up no matter what scenario they're in. Right? They can even jump up and roar, and they don't have to worry about anything that's happened to them in the past. There is no such thing as yeish. Right? In yeish, we're going to talk about... Uh, Talk about uh, well, I guess we'll do it right now. Well, uh, Rav Meir Shechter, um, Rav Yaakov Meir Shechter is one of the Breslov Rosh Yeshiva. Uh, he's actually a Rosh Yeshiva of a non-Breslov Yeshiva, Meir Sharon. He says a beautiful diuk in the pasuk that Bilam uses early in the parsha. I see him up at ten minutes now, so I'm going to try and hurry up a little bit. Um, the first time Bilam, Bilam talks to Bullock's messengers, he says, "Lo Hashem I cannot violate the word of Hashem, my God." And by the end of the parsha, right, the Torah says, or Bilam says. To Balak, what was I supposed to do? Lo I was not able to to go against the words of Hashem, and he left out the word "my God." And Rashi says, "By over there, Hashem Bilam felt he couldn't say that my God because he had already been disgusted by Kashbar must have been disgusted by him. He tried a million times to curse the Jews, and says, Sir of Shechter, you see that the Yitzhahari even attacks the Rishon, right? That that's not Judaism. That's not how it works." Even if a person falls, even if they do uh, the same Avera over and over and over and over and over, Hashem is still your God. Right? Hashem is still your God. That uh, you can always get up. Right? Rav Melech tells a story about the Kalsim Bagarebbe, who, uh, who met a boy who had been thrown out of Yeshiva, as many of these stories go. Uh, he spoke with him and he determined that the kid was ready to, to try again and go back into Yeshiva. So he went to the Mashkiach, the Kalsim Bagarebbe, went back to the Mashkiach and told him to take the boy back. So Mashkiach said, listen, this kid already promised a thousand times that he changed his ways. 
and he hasn't done it yet. So what do you want me to do? So the Klausenberger Rebbe got really upset. He says, do you know how many times I've said that in my life? That I changed my ways and I still haven't? You're saying there's no hope for me either? It's a pretty good muster. So that's, uh, that's, that's basically what, uh, what the Klausenberger Rebbe said. And that's what Melech says. That there's, there's no hope. There's no, there is no giving up. Right? There's no yeyush. Right? A person is always elokai. Right? Kosh Baruch is always our God. It doesn't matter what. Right? And that's what we need to put into Kriyashma, right? That uh, even if a person karashachav, even if a person falls down, kalavi miikimenu, you can still get up uh, like a lion. Uh, two more things that I wanted to point out. The end of the uh, the end of the parsha talks about Benos Yisrael sinning with Benos Moav. That uh, finally, at the end of the parsha, right? Bilam gets them. It says the sin of the Benos Moav. Benos Yisrael sin with the Benos Moav, and uh, through uh, through Avodazar as well. And so the Or Chaim he quotes Rashi. Uh, it's the language, if you by the Mon, and earlier in Sefer Bamibar, the Pazak says, Shatu Ham Valaktu, that Benesol would stroll out and get the Mon. And uh, Rashi says, Ain Shayit El Lashon Tiyul, that the word Shayit, right, Shatu Ha'am, means they would take a stroll, they would take a walk. It says Arachayim, the place where Benesol sinned with Benos Moav is called Shitim, and that's the same Lashon. It says Benesol went out for a trip, and that's what caused them to sin. It doesn't mean the trips are bad, but he says that or Chaim is saying that he's emphasizing that they went out mechutz lamachna, that they weren't careful to keep themselves in a holy place. <coughs> now it doesn't mean that you have to stay in Harnof your entire life. Right? There are many holy places in the world. Again, I've mentioned with you guys several times. That once when I went to, on vacation with my wife, we we're looking to find a, take a five year vacation. So I, I, we had many options. Israel Baruch Hashem is close to all of Europe. Europe is beautiful, and you can go wherever you want pretty much for a couple hundred bucks. So I was mocked very much to uh, go to a place where I could get a minion. Now, I have a lot of from friends who are not mocked for minion when they go on vacation, and that's totally fine. I'm not trying to say that that's what you have to do. But we, we, you know, we told my parents we're going to Hungary. My parents are like, Hungary? What in the world is in Hungary? But that's the idea. I mean, there's a difference between a vacation to Cancun, right? The beaches in Cancun are very different than the cobblestones of Prague, right? You can go to Amsterdam and see the tulips in the beer factory instead of the light district and uh, the red light district and the, mar- and the marijuana hotspots. Right? There's a person needs to know where they are holding, where they are, to have gedorim, to fence themselves in from dangerous places. Right? Bnei Israel took a little stroll. Right? They ended up sending with Ben Osmav and Balpaor. Same thing about Dina, by the way. It says that when Dina sinned, not when she sinned, when she was raped by Shechem. As Pazik says, Dina that Dina went out to see the, the the girls of the land. And because I'll say that that was inappropriate, that she should have stayed closer to home, she should have kept her gedarim. Right? We see this elsewhere in the Parsha, twi- we see several other places in the Parsha have the same message. Right? And uh, Rashi says that B'nai Yisrael, right, one of the brachas that uh, Bilam gave B'nai Yisrael, right, he looked out and he saw the B'nai Yisrael's tents were facing each other, and and the Spirit of God was upon him. That And the seeming the implication from the Pasuk seems to be that only after Bilam saw that Bnei Israel had set their tents up in a way that they couldn't see into everybody else's tent, right? They were protected from an ayin hara, right? That they they protected themselves. They didn't have their tents facing each other, right? They themselves were tanua. They were they kept their eyes to themselves. So that was what protected them when Bilam wanted to curse them. Second place, as I mentioned earlier, is the when the the donkey stopped walking. Right? The third time the donkey stopped walking, the donkey stopped walking, right? Uh, we said there was a fence on both sides. The Pesach says, Gader mizeh v'gader mizeh. There was a fence on both sides. So the donkey crouched down and wouldn't move. Bilam hit it and hit it and hit it, wouldn't move. Says Rav Melech, when you have proper fences on both sides, then nothing works. You can't, there's no curses. There's nowhere to move. 
There's nowhere for the evil to come in. Right? We have fences on both sides. He quotes the Tiferet Shlomo. Tiferet Shlomo is the Rada Minsk Rebbe. Nifter in Poland, about uh, 1850s. So Hashem explains to Bilam, fascinating. Hasidim love doing this. They love taking literal translations of Psukim and uh, kind of flipping them on, flipping them on their heads. By the way, if we run out of time, I'll just I'll keep on going and then I'll post the the recording on Wai Torah so you can cut the last three minutes. Just two more points I want to make. He quotes the Tefer Shlomo, the Rebbe Mitzvah Rebbe. He says that when when Bilam said to Hashem, "Hine am yatzami mitzrayim, hine chisas in aretz," right? Bilam started telling Hashem who Bnei Yisrael was. Right? It's almost hilarious, but Bilam says to Hashem, "Listen, this guy wants me to curse them. There's a nation that came out of Mitzrayim." Right? They have covered the as far as the eye can see. Right, that's how much that's what the psukim literally mean. That's that's not literally. That's what the psukim mean. That's what Hashem is how how Bilam is describing Bnei Israel. But if you take the words, says the Radomsko Rebbe, they they tell an amazing musr. He said, "What does the word says? It says Hine am yatsami mitzrayim. There is a nation that is leaving Egypt. If you want to leave Egypt, what does it say? Hine chisa es in haaretz." Literally, that means you, you have to cover the eye of the land. Meaning, person wants to get out of Egypt, you have to cover your eyes from seeing the land. Right? Cover your eyes. Don't look at what's going on in the land. And he says, amazingly, that's the literal translation of another pasuk that's completely unrelated to this, but it says the exact same, almost the exact same thing. When Yehuda sinned with Tamar, right, or, or slept with Tamar, whatever, it wasn't a sin necessarily. Okay, fine, that's the whole story over there. Yehuda sends money, sends payment in the form of a goat with one of his servants. And uh, Yehuda's men ask, literally, quote, and what that means is, in the, in the context, is they ask the men of the town, where is the prostitute that was on the road, that was on the crossroads? But if you look at the word that literally means, where is the Kedusha? It's by your eyes. Right? Guarding your eyes and having Gedarim is the key to Kedusha. And obviously, Shmir Sinayim is a different conversation when I'm speaking to guys, to girls, but it's also super relevant for girls as well. The things that you see influence your mind. Right? Someone, right, what you allow your eyes to see has an undeniable influence on how you think. Right? Someone who's watched countless hours of Hollywood entertainment thinks different than someone who hasn't. Right? Someone who watches influences on social media, different Western culture entertainment outputs right, that has effect on a person, it's a constant barrage of Western values, right? Again, you know, Rahman al-Islam, people always debate around all these shootings, right? Whether violence and video games and movies breed these things, I, I don't know, I'm, I have no idea, but I would imagine that it has some impact on society in general. Uh, again, when a person just, the things that they intake through their eyes, right? Has a tremendous impact on what they see and what they think. Right, again, if every, uh, romance movie ever talks about some sort of infidelity. They see somebody else, or a woman runs off with that, and that's totally fine. That's like the hero runs off with this. So infidelity is not a big deal. You see that in society all throughout the Western culture. That is just not a big deal, right? and that's that's what we're talking about. And this, that's what the whole fight is. I, I would imagine in in, uh, in Western culture in America specifically is because people are realizing that the mediums and the things that they're watching, that they're intaking, right? The things that they're consuming, that's the word they use, right? The, the, the consu we consume media with our eyes, that impacts a person and how a generation grows up. So that's what we're talking about over here. That, establish boundaries for your holiness, 
right? Especially when it comes to your eyes, right? Take stock and be careful of what you're looking at, what you're watching, what you're seeing. You don't have to wait to go on a vacation to make that decision, right? We're talking about the day-to-day, -day, right? Certainly with the phones that have broken down all sense of gedarim, all sense of fences in the house, right? Make sure uh, that you're consciously, uh, what you're consciously watching, right, is influencing in a positive manner. And finally, we'll just mention one quick thing because I see we have less than one minute. If, um, the only thing that caused Bnei Israel to mess up in this week's parsha was chait. That was the only thing. Bilam, if you look throughout the entire, Bilam and Balak jumped through a ridiculous amount of hoops and put in ridiculous amounts of effort to curse the Jews. It did not work. It's the same thing we talked about last week with the snakes, right? That the sin is what causes Bnei Israel to fall. It's the snake, right? Bnei Israel sin. They complained about the man, etc. They're so fed up with the Kosh Baruch Hu, so they got bit by the snakes. It's not that that the that the the what's called that the snakes are the ones who are just running around biting people, right? The sin is what caused Bnei Israel to fall. It's not the efforts of our enemies, right? Bilam and Balak went crazy to curse them, didn't work. It's only after Bnei Israel sinned with Bnei Moab and going down to Baal Peor. So, it's on the one hand a tremendous chizuk that all these elaborate plans by all our enemies to destroy us, right? It's doesn't work. Right, unless right, our hate, right, for whatever reason, right, Kosh Baruch judges that that they should be successful, uh, and that's the attitude that we have to take. I remember, um, you know, many years ago, and there was the Harnof massacre, and uh, terrible, terrible zakh where you know a bunch of Arabs came in and shot up a shul, and uh, I think five holy kedushim were nifter were killed in the middle, literally in the middle of davening al kedush Hashem, and. Um, so basically, you know, I remember, you know, obviously in the, in, in the aftermath, a lot of different reactions, but I remember posting something uh, on Facebook to the extent of, to the extent of our reaction has to be right, that we have to reanalyze our actions in shul. If shul doesn't protect a Jew, so we have to ourselves, or, I mean, so we have to take Musar and we have to kind of analyze our own actions in shul. And I remember people being like, how dare you? That's victim blaming. Don't blame the victims. And I'm like, I'm not blaming the victims. The victims are Kedoshim Tehorim. That's not at all what I said. Right? Our response to current actions personally is what can I fix about myself? What can I do to improve my Yerushalayim and my Avodah of the Kosh Baruch Hu? Right? I wasn't try, trying to say that anything about those Tzadikim Tehorim, and that's not at all what I had said. Whatever. Okay, people take things different different ways on social media. That's that's a different discussion. But that's our response. That chait and is the is the result is is the the cause for for us to be affected. And you see that from this parsha very clearly. That of course, Bani Israel were not affected until there was a chait. So we always, whenever we see something and uh, that happens, even something good, right? Our response should be how do we improve ourselves, right? And that's uh, because it's the chait or the mitzvah that causes things to move in this world. Not our uh, enemy's elaborate, brilliant schemes. No care to move. So I, I apologize for going over a little bit, but uh, uh, I wish everybody a tremendous Shabbos. And Mitzvah um, Shem, we'll see everybody on Monday for more Mitzvah Yesharim. Have a great Shabbos.